Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today and every Saturday at 10 o'clock. So we're so glad that you're able to join us. If this is your first time joining me on Talking Money, you'll realize pretty quickly this is not a sales program. We're here to educate. And today we're going to educate about Social Security. My friend and colleague, Eddie Holland, the CPA, PFS, CFP, CKA. Did I get them all? I think so. That's enough. <laughs> he's in the studio with me today, and uh, he's our expert on many things, but especially Social Security. And we're going to talk about Social Security today. There are some other financial programs on this station and many others, because when I'm traveling, I, I'll pick those stations up sometimes and sometimes get him online. And they talk about Social Security every week mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like uh, of course they're recording it they're playing the same recording every week they're not talking about something new they're saying the same thing we don't want to do that so usually once a year we try to get you in the studio here and there was an article in the wall street journal just a few weeks ago that was entitled the biggest mistakes people make with social security so immediately of course i thought of eddie so they said in the the first part of the article that they they we've talked to academics financial advisors and a certified public accountant to identify the biggest social security mistakes people make and i was first question was i did they did they check with eddie <laughs> no i did not hear from the wall street journal <laughs> yeah, well they should have called you and they just they they missed out but anyway they had they had some good things that we've talked about before but it was in a pretty good format so they start the article off saying social security is more generous in how it calculates your benefits than the annuities offered by insurers that's the first time i've ever heard somebody say that but it's a government benefit so of course it pays more than than private companies correct and one of the things when i speak uh on social security at michelin they have a pre-retirement seminar so i have the opportunity to really speak multiple times a year. Yeah, four or five times a year. Yeah, it's about them, five right? times a yeah, year. Yeah, That's one of the things I talk about is you can view Social Security as a replacement for an annuity. Mm -hmm. So when you have somebody trying to pitch or sell an annuity, considering Social Security as a form of an annuity, you may have too much from an annuity standpoint if you try to purchase one through either a retirement account or taxable money. So it's, it's really uh, profound to think of it that way, I agree. If you had to put enough money into a commercial annuity to provide the same kind of monthly benefit that social security provided, it would be an enormous amount of money. So that's what you're saying. Really, yes. if, it, if it takes a million dollars often to, to provide that same monthly income, if it took a million dollars and you've got a, a million dollar asset size or investments, mm -hmm. you've already got half your money in something fixed. Correct. So don't forget that. And some people do, and they just they still get so nervous about the stock market that they're going to put something into an annuity. Um, another thing that Social Security does that um, some pension plans used to do years ago would would have a cost of living increase. Absolutely. And and we even barely have any pension plans, let alone have one that would increase your benefit for for inflation. I think right. the state retirement still may it have does. Has yeah, one. it's it's uh, it's not tied directly to. Um, an inflation number uh, that's that's pretty well known, um, 
But uh, I agree, Mike. We actually, Deborah Carroll, one of the financial planners in our office, and I had a uh, meeting with a client yesterday, new client, and that client's concern is inflation. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of the buzz in the, the financial world right now is what's inflation going to do? Is it transitory? I know you had a Mark Elam on a few weeks ago and you guys talked about that. And mm-hmm. Is it here to stay or is it not? But just keeping in mind that Social Security is indexed for some form of inflation. It may not be exactly what retirees feel right. from a health care st- uh, cost, but it is in- indexed for some form of inflation. So I think it's important to understand that Social Security at least has a way to combat yeah. some form of inflation. And that's an expensive benefit, which is why pension plans don't do it. Correct. Uh, so it's, it is a, an important thing. So uh, we'll, real quickly, let's, we'll get to the phone lines before we get to our six uh, mistakes that people make. And let, let's uh, before we get to our first break, uh, Rembrero, I, I guess, something like that, uh, from Taylor's. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. Good morning. How do you pronounce your name? My name is Ram, like R-E-M, and then I-R-O, Romero. Romero. Okay, very yes. good. What's your question this morning? Okay, my question is, I uh, worked approximately 15 years for Social Security and 15 years for the railroad. And I get letter. I got letters from the railroad that says I'm, I, I am due such, uh, so much money. And then I get a letter from Social Security saying I'm, I get, I'm entitled to so much money. So when I go to Social Security, they tell me, well, I can't draw railroad retirement and Social Security at the same time, although I paid to both because I got laid off midway through my career. So I, I'm kind of left out of limbo and losing half, half of my uh retirement so my question is do i have any other avenues oh great question well let uh, that that's such a simple question i let uh, my buddy eddie handle that one <laughs> well good morning ramiro <laughs> uh, unfortunately uh, what you've been told sounds accurate to me based on the information that you've shared there is what's called a government pension offset and railroad is one of those considerations so that you do not uh and cannot enjoy the benefit of both the railroad and the social security. There's an offset or sometimes in the insurance world, it's called a coordination of benefits, but there's not okay. a way for you to double up on those benefits. So when you paid into the social security system, I recognize that you want to get the full benefit, but there is in the law. Um, and that's one of the reasons when you go and sit down with a social security agent, one of the questions in their checklist is, did you work for the railroad? Um, and, and that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to flag that to determine if they, there needs to be an offset of benefit. So the benefit, uh, all the money he paid in Social Security is essentially he just helped the rest of us. Correct. Yeah, he just he uh, he was he was very philanthropic in that regard. <laughs> we appreciate that, Romero. <laughs> okay. So I'm sorry that's thank not the answer. Much. That's not the answer you wanted, but uh, I guess that's just the way it is. Okay. Thank all you, right. sir. Appreciate thank, it. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that. All yes, right. Sir. We have time for our first break. We'll be back with the second part of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over $11 billion of assets under management and advisement and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, 
family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ronald Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. I'm so glad you're with us. We're talking about Social Security Day with uh, my colleague and friend, Eddie Holland, the CPA, Certified Financial Planner, Professional, and et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, and, and teaches all of the Social Security sessions for Michelin, has done that for a number of years. And so he gets a lot of questions there. So there's probably not a question that you can ask him that he's not going to know. You can always send an email to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Or just go on to the TalkingMoneyRadio.com website. And when you get there, you can find the Ask Mike a Question section. And just send that uh, question there. And we'll be glad to answer that question at a future program. All right, so talking about uh, the common mistakes uh, people make with Social Security. And of course, how can we avoid them? And so the first mistake that the Wall Street Journal mentions in here is about worrying about that people worry about dying too young. <laughs> and I don't think there's any other time anybody would worry about dying too young except when it talks about whether I should go ahead and start Social Security. So they say, let in the article, uh, quote some people, we, we can't determine when we're going to die. So that was very profound. <laughs> we have to focus first and foremost on the worst case as if we're going to live forever. No, I don't. I, I, that's not the worst case. I mean, because you, you're not going to live forever either. All right, living a long time is a financial disaster. It can be because you run out of money. You run out of life, money before you run out of life. It can be. It may be good personally, of course. They say. Uh, so the percentage taking Social Security as soon as they are eligible at age 62 has roughly halved in the past 15 years to about 25 percent in 2019. Even so, only about six percent of Americans claiming Social Security in 2017 were age 70. That's according to the Center for Retirement Research. So what kind of thoughts do you have on that, Eddie, for people? How much should they worry about uh, dying too young? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting the way that they phrased that because I think it's it's um, catching. It's, it's, uh, it demands your yeah. attention when yeah. you read that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't, good writing. It's absolutely, good writing. Absolutely, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I don't think most people view it in that manner, but I think what you touched on, Mike, is what I hear most consistently with clients that we serve is we don't want to run out of money. We don't want to become, quote unquote, and I'll use air quotes here, a burden to our kids or family or whatever it is. And so what the article is trying to to capture here is that by delaying Social Security, you're going to get an increase. Once you reach your full retirement age, which is determined by the year that you were born, somebody born 1954 and earlier at 66, somebody born in 1960 or later, it's age 67. If you're born in between those two years, it goes up in two-month increments. So somebody born in 1957 for retirement age is 66 and six months. So if you delay past full retirement age, you get an 8% increase per year. So what he's trying to, the uh, author's trying to capture here is that one way to offset longevity risk, living too long, is by delaying Social Security. So for the clients that come in and meet with us and say, we don't want to run out of money, one of the conversations we have is uh, delaying Social Security could potentially reduce the risk of running out of money because the, the longer you delay, the more it increases. And as we talked about in the first segment, you're getting an inflation adjustment as well. So there's a couple of components to consider. That's not no. the only consideration. No, we'll talk more. Absolutely, yes. But that's, that is one consideration. Well, I, and I, but I have heard people say, 
I want to go ahead and take my social security because I paid all this money into kind of like Romero did. Mm -hmm. I paid all this money into, and what happens if I, I don't go ahead and file and I die at 65 and I didn't get any money back. So there is a certain amount of that, but I think most people down deep don't really think they're going to die that soon. It's a matter of, yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. And I think that's the catch 22 because you have paid in and social security cannot in most cases be passed to someone other than your spouse. So there's not gen two or gen three that's going to benefit from social security. Whereas your assets, you potentially can pass those down to multiple generations. So there's that quandary. But also there's the desire to make sure that you have enough assets. And so it's that catch 22 of do I draw early so that I'm ensure that I get all the money back that I paid in or do I delay with the risk of dying early trying to offset longevity risk? Uh, So the second uh, mistake they talk about is waiting too long to claim. Wait a minute. I thought you just said you waited. Yeah. Worried about dying too young. I, I thought that was interesting too. They said, <laughs> so I guess some people are that way and some people are the other way. So I'm going to waiting too. Some people wait too long to claim. So I guess they don't think they're ever going to die. So that's not what they say in the Wall Street Journal. That was uh, Miller's commentary. Um, so waiting too long to claim. It's a, a, they do say a significant minority of Americans should claim early. Mm-hmm. All right. Should claim early. If you have a, if you have disabled, they don't say it should be, if you have a disabled child, who is entitled to Social Security benefits through you, for example. He or she can't receive them until you claim benefits yourself. They say if you're single in poor health and don't think you'll make it to age 77, it also makes sense to claim as early as 62, according to analysis from Dr. Rickenstein. Uh, Then they finish out this section by saying if you are the primary earner in the family, you generally should claim benefits early only if both you and your spouse are in very bad health. If you die early, but your spouse is healthy, he or she likely will be living off your Social Security check. So you want it to be as big as possible. So we've, uh, I know you've advised people a lot in the workshops and also clients. Uh, so what's your take on the waiting too long to claim? Yeah, I think this is very well written. Obviously, an article, uh, there's many more nuances to Social Security than the article can capture here. A couple of things that I'll mention, they talk about disab- uh, disabled children or disabilities. Another benefit is if you have a young child. So if you have a child that's in high school, 18 or younger, uh, I'm sorry, in high school, 19 or younger, if they've graduated high, high school under the age of 18, then that child could potentially draw off of your benefit. Uh, so I use the analogy when I'm uh, speaking at Michelin. Uh, think of it of your social security as a door. And so you cannot, an, another person cannot walk through your door until you walk through it. So let's just take um, a husband and wife. Let's say husband is for retirement age. They have a child that's age 14. Husband can walk through his door, and then the child can start drawing a child's benefit off Mm -hmm. of the dad's record. And so that may be a reason why, even if he's not for retirement age, the dad may want to walk through because not only is he able to walk through, but his son or or daughter is able to walk through as well. And then to add to that, Mike, there's the possibility if, if there's an age gap between the husband and wife, let's say the wife is 55, husband 62, husband could potentially walk through, the child that we just talked about could walk through, and then the wife could potentially walk through as a caregiver mm. if the child is under the age of 16. So it depends on the age of the child, but there's a lot, as I said, there's just some complexity and some nuance to that, but that's another consideration that wasn't captured. And then one other thing, I know we're coming up on a break here just shortly, yeah, we've got a couple minutes. Okay. Um, so one other thing that he mentioned is the primary earner, if you're the primary earner, what he's meaning there, the author's meaning is you have the higher social security benefit. 
normally you want to try to delay that, and I know it's talked about in the article a little later, try to delay that if there's a potential for a survivor. But sometimes we've had the primary wage earner as the younger spouse. So the older spouse Mm -hmm. has a lower earnings record than the younger spouse. So in that case, there may not be as much of a benefit to pass on because the likelihood of the older spouse predeceasing younger is higher. Right, sure. And so you may not... Especially if they're male. Right. So you may not want to delay as long if there's a gap or spread between the ages where the higher wage earner is the younger spouse. So unfortunately... um I guess fortunately, really, not unfortunately, God doesn't tell us when it's our time to leave. So even if you're not healthy, you still don't know. But but typically, you have to make the decision based on the information that you know. Correct. And if if one spouse is unhealthy and you figure they're assumed that they're not going to live as long, then you have to weigh that into your decision on which one takes it when and uh, which one's going to be the survivor that's going to live off the the first spouse's deaths. Uh, social security benefit and a lot of people just forget about that and we i mean i don't know how many people you and i've talked to over the years that did not realize that when their spouse died it is assuming they're the higher wage earner that they'd be able they were able to assume that person's social security they yes. just assumed they would just keep getting their own correct um so there's a lot of things like that and we're going to talk some more about uh, things like that not working because of the earnings limit uh as the next one not filing for widows or widowers benefits we're going to talk about all those things as we come back from the break we'll be back with the second half of talking money in just a few minutes ronald blue trust is pleased to sponsor talking money ronald blue trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum private wealth everyday steward family office and the professional athlete division the company's largest division private wealth is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ron Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today with my special guest, Eddie Holland, a CPA and certified financial planner professional and, and social security expert, teaches the social security sections for the Michelin pre-retirement, has done that for years, and, and so a lot of experience in this. And the go-to guy at the office, if we get sticky situations we're not sure about, uh, we can always pick up the phone. And even um, company-wide for Ronald Blue Trust, uh, I don't know if you've been getting calls from people around the firm or not, but I know you've, you've put out some things for the whole firm to listen to. And uh, and so that's that's great resource for us. They have you as a resource for Social Security, and we have all the others as a resource for other things that we need. So talking about the common mistakes of Social Security that people make with Social Security that the Wall Street Journal put out. So the first we talked about was worrying about dying too young. Then, of course, the opposite of that, waiting too long to claim. Those are the first two. So the third mistake they talk about is not working because of the earnings limit. So somebody's retired, maybe some are retired. They're getting old enough 
to claim Social Security, uh, but they're still working. And so, well, I'm not going to claim it because, uh, or I'm, not, I'm just going to stop working because I'm going to have to pay too many taxes on it. And uh, so the article says, if you claim Social Security before January 1st of the year you reach full retirement age and earn more than 18960 the government will reduce your benefit by $1 for every $2 of earnings in excess of that amount. And then people turn down work because of that rule. They shouldn't, it says. In most cases, they will get back the money they lost because the government will adjust their benefit upward once they reach full retirement age. And I know that's misunderstood by a lot of people. And you've talked about that uh, several times on this show and I know at Michelin. So talk about that. Explain that in, uh, in, in broader terms for us. Yes. So the earnings limit, essentially, if you draw before your full retirement age, you're subject to an earnings limit. If it's the year... That before you reach full retirement age, the numbers that you just threw out, Mike, are accurate. 18960 is the threshold. Your benefit is reduced $1 for every $2 over that amount. If it's the year in which you reach full retirement age, so let's say you have a December birthday, you're going to be full retirement age in December, right. then it's that year, the beginning that calendar year, the threshold goes up to $50,520. That's 2021 figures. Those numbers are usually indexed for inflation. And then the reduction is less. It's $1 for every $3 earned over that threshold. Let's say that you start drawing, you return back to work, you're subject, you're making more than the earnings threshold, you're subject to a reduction. Then at that point, what happens? Well, the reduction is applied. Either your benefit is reduced or you may have to pay back some benefit. But then once you reach full retirement age, then Social Security calculates how much they withheld or reduced your benefit over the number of years or months that you were drawing. And then at that point, once you reach full retirement age, they start incrementally giving it back. They don't give it back to you in lump sum. I actually read an article today. This has been the one quest that I have had unanswered questions regarding this. It does not matter how much I research it, who I ask, nobody knows the answer. I can't get a formula for how Social Security calculates how they pay it back. I read an article today, I'm sorry, uh, yesterday or Thursday, stating that it could take up to 15 years for for you to recoup all of the money. So it's not a lump sum amount. So let's right. say that your yeah. benefit was reduced 15000 over a three-year period of time. You're not going to get a $15,000 lump sum check. You might get a $100 benefit increase for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So it's a number of months that you'll get back. But theoretically, if you live long enough, then you will recoup all of the amount that was reduced. So there is some reasonable uh, explanation why you shouldn't uh, start keep working because of that and because you and, or start taking social security while you're still working correct because yes. it may take you too long to get it back that is correct and if you just wait a little longer and then and then the flip side of that and we'll talk about that and another one is this the last one is uh, on the taxes which some of the social security may be taxable that it wouldn't have been taxable if you just waited correct so i mean our typical advice is wait to take social security until you stop working right and and obviously like we talked about before there's many nuances to this sure conversation i was uh, mentioned in one of the earlier segments deborah carroll and i financial planner in our office and i had a conversation with a client yesterday and we talked about if you want to start drawing social security earlier even if you're working let's say your benefit's going to be reduced a little bit but you can use some of that money to pay off debt paying off debt may be something that uh, a client wants to do mm-hmm. and so if they mm-hmm. let's say their benefit's going to be reduced by half they're going to get that half back when they start uh, or when they reach for retirement age but they're going to use the other half to pay down debt. That may be a reason to start drawing. So there's multiple facets to this. And before we jump to the next one, let me mention one other thing. This is one of the more uh, misunderstood components 
let's say that a person retires mid-year. Let's say that person's okay. younger than full retirement age. So let's just arbitrarily say that person's 64. Let's say that they think that the earnings limit applies to them throughout the year. They would be partially correct. The earnings limit applies to them while they're working. But if they retire mid-year, say July 1st, it doesn't matter how much they've earned previously for the first six months of the year. So they, they could can make $100,000 the first six months. Correct. As long as they didn't make more than eighteen nine sixty the second half. Correct. So going forward, what they do is that eighteen nine sixty they apply that on a monthly benefit. So the monthly amount that you calculate uh, is applied each month. So as long as you stay below that monthly threshold, then the earnings limit is not going to apply to you, regardless of what you made. So we've had some clients that have retired mid-year and they haven't gone back to work at all. And so in their case, they were able to start drawing in July on July 1st or August 1st or whatever it may be, receive their benefit. Obviously, it's going to be reduced because they're taking it younger than full retirement age, but it's not subject to that mm-hmm. earnings limit of the money that they made. So just keep in mind that it's applied on a monthly basis. So you don't get the full 18000 benefit for the last six months. It's the 1500 and change that per month it's, that you would get. Correct. It's 1580 per month. As long as you're below the 1580 per month applied on a monthly basis, as long as your earnings is below that, then you receive the, the Social Security benefit without any reduction in benefit. So the next uh, mistake they talk about is uh, number four, not filing for widows or widowers benefits. So they say you can file for survivor benefits at age 60, which a lot of people don't realize, two years earlier than the minimum eligibility age for standard Social Security and allow your own benefits to grow until you reach age 70. Uh, if then, then okay, let's. I'm gonna stop with that one. <laughs> yeah, so that's, <laughs> go with that. That's accurate. So survivor benefit, as long as you were married at the time of the deceased spouse's death, and nine months prior to that death, uh, and there's some exceptions like accidental death, then you're eligible for a survivor benefit off of the late spouse's record, even if you don't have a record of your own. Mm-hmm. So let's say that husband worked, uh, wife was a homemaker. And husband passes away, even though wife does not have enough credits to earn a benefit on her own record, she's eligible to start drawing a survivor benefit off of her husband's record. And what this article is is trying to draw a distinction between is your own benefit, you can start drawing it as early as 62, a survivor as early as age 60. The other difference is your own benefit receives a delayed retirement credit each year past full retirement age, you get 8% per year. Uh, survivor benefits do not receive those delayed retirement credits. So if you're listening and the survivor benefit is higher than your own benefit in your past full retirement age, you need to start drawing immediately because you're leaving money on the table because you're not receiving any incremental increase in benefit by delaying survivor past full retirement age. And one caveat, if you're past full retirement age and you realize you've made a mistake, you can do a six-month look back. Up to six months, you can look back and capture any lost uh, benefit that you were eligible for that you didn't realize you were eligible for. So you mentioned the if you're full retirement age and it's a survivor benefit, go ahead and do it. But if it's age 60 and it's a survivor benefit, there's still going to be an increase between then and your full retirement Correct. age. Correct. Yes. The increase is about four and three quarters right. percent roughly. So what if the survivor's benefit is uh, smaller than their own benefit? Mm-hmm. So they should still yeah, so at that point, what, what you can do is you can compare the two. And it, they're, they're distinct and separate buckets. It's the only time that I'm aware that the Social Security Administration will allow you to pick and choose when you're younger than full retirement age, the higher of the two benefits. Hmm. So you can right. start drawing a survivor benefit now and delay your own until age 70. 
which is what you just read the article recommended, you can do the inverse. If the survivor benefit is higher than your own benefit will ever be, you may start drawing your own benefit now and draw survivor benefit at full retirement age. So I can't tell you how many times we've helped clients navigate that. It's obviously a bit of a traumatic event to go through losing a spouse, but one of the things we try to do is take some of the financial responsibility and pressure off of that situation, try to de-stress mm-hmm. the situation a little bit. And properly planning helps determine, back to what we talked about in an earlier segment, should I delay my benefit, maybe not for my own benefit, but for my spouse's benefit, because the reality is I may predecease them. They're going to have an option of choosing between the survivor benefit and their own benefit. And when to choose, obviously, is very important. But knowing the rules is even uh, vitally important as well. Yeah, yeah. It just it's a reminder for me why many of our clients have become clients to begin with is because they wanted to make sure that if something happened to them, their surviving spouse had somebody that could help them navigate all these different issues, especially Social Security. But there's a lot of other issues that if there's somebody in your corner, somebody that's got your back and that you trust, then uh, how much uh, less stressful is that for the surviving spouse to go through all that? We'll be back uh, to talk about the next part not as much fun but you know getting divorced and how what what kind of benefits you have for that and then wrap it up with some uh, tax torpedoes they call them that we want to make sure we avoid those so we're back with the last segment of talking money in just a couple of minutes ronald blue trust is pleased to sponsor talking money ronald blue trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum private wealth everyday steward family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth Advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. There's about 10 minutes left here in uh, Talking Money in this segment, talking about Social Security today. If you've got a question, then you can send an email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com, and I'll get that. So talking about Social Security, we've got two mistakes so we want to get left, and one of them is talking about getting a divorce. And they say in the article, if you're married for, they say, less than 10 years, fewer than 10 years, yes. uh, you usually aren't entitled to a spousal benefit if you divorce. That can be a lot of money. Even if you never worked, you're entitled to 50% of your spouse's benefit for retirement age and the survivor benefit, which is 100% if you outlive him or her. After divorcing, and they'll talk about being widowed as well, there's another potential Social Security minefield, remarriage. In most cases, you will lose spousal benefits from your earlier marriage, but will be entitled to spousal benefits from your new spouse. This can really get tricky. So this fellow, Mr. Piper, says uh, you should be aware that it could be smaller if your new spouse's earnings record is lower as well. So this is something we talk about a lot with uh, somebody's divorced or uh, and or widowed. Um, and this we've been you know, advising people on this for years. But let's talk about these these minefields here yeah. a little bit. So I think the, I wish the one thing that the article would have done is would have drawn a distinction between survivor benefits and spousal benefits. So think of mm. spousal as if your ex-spouse is still alive survivors if your ex-spouse is, is, has deceased or, or um, right. passed away 
So if the ex-spouse is still alive and you remarry, then you lose the ability to draw off of that ex-spouse's record. But if the ex-spouse has predeceased you, then at that point, as long as you qualify, your, your marriage lasted at least 10 years and you remarried after the age of 60. And I know in the uh, seminars, I use the illustration, Mike, of where you actually yeah. uh, helped navigate a client through that. Uh, and, years uh, ago. Yeah, quite a few <laughs> years ago. But just making sure that, that you marry wisely the second time, but also you time it wisely. Because if you're nearing your 60th birthday, if you delay your marriage until uh, you turn 60, then you're potentially eligible to draw a survivor benefit off of your ex-spouse, or in this case, it was just the late spouse um, record. Right. But that applies for both divorced as well as widowed um, clients and, and taxpayers, is you can potentially start drawing a survivor benefit if you were divorced as long as you didn't remarry or you remarried after the age of 60. And so that's the, I wanted to draw that distinction. But mm-hmm. I think that the concept is just understand that if you're divorced – there may be a potential for you to draw off of an ex-spouse's record. Now, I've actually had some clients or maybe more seminar attendees ask, well, let's say that I've I've divorced and I have not remarried and my ex-husband and I both are over the age of 62. So we're eligible to draw, but he thinks, going back to a previous segment, he thinks that he can he has to walk through his door first yeah. before I can start drawing off of his record. The Social Security Administration says no. We're way ahead of you, pal. We're not going to allow you to hold that over your wife's head in this case. So as long as the divorce has been, as long as you've been divorced at least two years, then what you're eligible to do if you're an ex-spouse, you're eligible to draw off of your ex-spouse's record, even if he or she isn't drawing. So it's a potential way to offset some of the, the... viciousness that can come along with some you can try divorces. to be spiteful but it's not going to work yeah i call it the yeah. spiteful spouse rule that, that <laughs> the uh, social security administration gets out in front of that yeah, yeah they for sure do that and uh, so this this is another one of those things that uh, that we see a lot of people just miss they don't realize they can even file for that or they think their their former spouse has to start collecting before they can so this, these are things that are very important to know, and, and hopefully that's what Talking Money is here for, is we can is help uh, make sure these things are clear and you know when to collect. And, of course, uh, you can always ask those questions. So even if that's after the show's over, send those questions to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com, and we'll get the answers for you. Okay, so the last thing, this can be uh, a little tricky one. So hitting, they call it hitting tax torpedoes. So it's uh, so I'll let you go ahead and explain some of the the nuances of how social security is taxed and we'll talk about some planning strategies along with that so social security is taxed from a federal standpoint the calculation is based on your combined income so it's basically your adjusted gross income plus non-taxable items such as interest so the irs has a calculation that they apply and as you would imagine it's very esoteric and nuanced and complicated but suffice it to say that if you make over a certain income level then up to 85% of your Social Security benefits are taxed. If you make below a certain threshold, generally it's about 32000 and 44000 are the bookends. Right. Um, so if you make below 32000 and you're married filing jointly, then none of your Social Security benefits are taxable. If you make in between those two figures, thirty two to 44 then 50 to 85% is taxable, and then over 44% up to 85% is taxable. So and that number hasn't changed for decades. Correct. Yeah, it's it's and not indexed for inflation. Right. So it's, so it's, it's been it's been affecting a lot more people every year correct. without even trying. Yes, correct. So once you determine how much of your Social Security benefits are taxable, then you apply your federal, your marginal federal tax rate. North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, they do not 
tax Social Security from a state standpoint. So we're only talking about federal taxation. Mm-hmm. How much of that is taxed is based on your marginal federal tax bracket. And you talked about it in an earlier segment, Mike, but this is one of those conversations we have with a multitude of clients. Let's say we have a client worked half a year, received a severance all in one calendar year. They're planning to draw Social Security. They may be giving Uncle Sam 32%, 35%, whatever it may be based on their marginal tax rate mm-hmm. if they start drawing Social Security. Whereas if they delay just a few months, they get a, an increased benefit because they've delayed a few months, but they also get more in their pocket giving Uncle Sam less because they're in a lower tax bracket in future years. That's just one of the many tax torpedoes to consider is timing matters. When you start drawing Social Security benefits really matters from a tax standpoint. Yeah, Most of the clients we serve want to maximize their after-tax money. Sure. So by doing so strategically, you can potentially do that. So how does this also affect Medicare? So Medicare, once you reach age 65 and you're no longer working, then you're eligible for Medicare Part A, which is not, uh, there's no premium for that. Medicare Part B is based on your modified adjusted gross income. And if you're below a certain threshold, if you're married filing jointly and making less than $176,000, you're in what they call the base Medicare premium, which is $148.50. If you're over that threshold, then your Medicare premiums go up. It's a surtax. And so if your income is, let's just say, 250000 of modified adjusted gross income, you're going to pay $297. So you're basically going to double the one forty-eight fifty. The two ninety-seven mm-hmm. is what you're going to be paying. And that's calculated on an annual basis. They look at your most recent tax return, which is normally the tax return from two years ago. So we rolled forward in 2021. The most recent tax return on file for most people was 2019. They look at the 2019 tax return. Medicare and Social Security do this, and then they apply a Medicare premium. So in your case, if you start drawing Social Security and it moves you into a higher Medicare bracket, you could potentially be paying more out of pocket. Social Security may not be taxed anymore, but you're paying more out of pocket for Medicare premium. So there's a lot of, of yeah. uh, factors to consider. And they go back uh, two years. They yes. Look at two years Correct. ago is your income two Correct. years ago. So you need to be forward thinking here to get that. So the big question here, and we've got just a couple minutes left, is how do you reduce that income so that less of your Social Security is taxable and or your premiums are lower? And and some people that every week uh, on the other financial shows talking about taking a bunch of money out of your, uh, out of your retirement plans, out of your IRAs, Go ahead and pay the taxes, although they don't say that, uh, and then put it into a tax-deferred and potentially tax-free life insurance policy where you can start pulling out that money tax-free. And, of course, there's a death benefit. So that is that is a way to, to potentially do that, but right. there's a lot of pitfalls to that as well. There are, yeah. And, and obviously taxes are one of those. One of the things, and this is why we encourage all clients, all clients don't um, really uh, acknowledge the, the need for this, but this is why we recommend a financial plan because one of the things – that we do with our clients that, that hire us for a financial plan is we look at their tax projections, where you are now, where, where you will be in the future. Mm-hmm. And if there's going to be a valley or a, a drop in tax brackets, great opportunity for something called a Roth conversion. I know we'll talk about that next week a right. bit more, but that's just one consideration to, to, to factor in of saying, okay, my tax bracket is high now. I want to pre-tax. I want to try to, to deduct as much as I can. Right. And then in low tax years, consider things like Roth conversions. So we've got about 10 seconds here left in Talking Money. So glad you're with us. 800-588-7526 is the number at the office if you'd like to get in touch. We'll see you next week for the next Talking Money. 